0: The TNT shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. This is the Hervoy Moritz Show
1: on today's news talk, TNT Radio. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm manning the desk here. Uh, I, was, I was on Pell's show at uh, 6 a.m. my time, and here we are, 6 p.m uh also my time <laughs> I'm back again uh but that's TNT a lot of great hosts uh, and content we've got on here uh, great guests today Michael Barone uh is, is coming on the program to discuss his latest book which is excellent which I've been reading mental maps of the founders how geographic imagination guided America's revolutionary leaders and second hour returning to the program it's been quite a while is Murray Sabrin of Sabron.substack.com. we talked about his book the last time uh, he was on when we were audio only and um I do want to let people know about what's happening with Julian Assange uh, again last December Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for this February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited renditioned to the United Soviet States of America TNT will will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London as always lighting the fuse for freedom Uh, a few tweets of the day um that I've got here one uh is from Cesar Vidal um he's a Spanish he lives in Florida um he's got a big following he's got a great channel where he produces content and podcasts. he says don't be fooled it's not a battle between left and right it's a battle between the servile agents of the globalist agenda and those who want their homeland to be free independent and sovereign against the international oligarchies that use left and right uh and and also uh this guy I follow on Twitter he's Spanish as well uh his name is Manuel Valera and he tweeted his tweets his tweets are fantastic he says no matter how criminal a regime is it will always have the support of a part of society we're seeing it with globalism we've seen it in the pandemic nothing new under the sun if they ordered the killing of their own mothers a percentage would comply as good citizens Uh, I think he he nails that on the head uh and Canada Canada just outdoes itself every day um you like hydrocarbons straight to jail straight straight to jail um there's been proposed now the new Democratic party they should they should change the name of their party the new um dictatorship party uh they've introduced a bill known as the fossil fuel advertising act or c372 essentially this act aims to impose penalties including imprisonment on those found publicly advertising praise of gasoline natural gas fossil fuels hydrocarbons even if their statements are based on accepted scientific facts i can't believe this is reality but what What is tomorrow going to bring? What, what are they going to think of for tomorrow? Uh, clou- total total clown world there. Elon Musk tweets today. All your bases are belong to us. Resistance is futile. Um, you will be assimilated. Th- that's not exactly what he t- tweeted. He tweeted, quote, in a few months, I will discontinue my phone number and only use X for texts and audio video calls. The American WeChat is uh, speeding along very quickly. So, uh, yeah, the social credit system is being built right here in um, in the West. Uh, also, India to make its digital currency programmable. The Reserve Bank uh, out there in India, it's going to make its digital currency programmable. Um, basically they say it's proposed to enable additional functionalities of programmability and offline capability in cbdc retail payments it will facilitate transactions for specific targeted purposes so I guess if you say some if you say you like gasoline I, I guess the, for, they can shut off your <laughs> your ability to buy food just I don't know what else to say uh, James Lindsay made a great point you know there was this story uh jet Blue planes collide on tarmac at Logan Airport in Boston so planes are just falling out of the skies the doors are blow, blowing open mid-flight they're crashing on the tarmac and James Lindsay says they want us to stop flying so the conditions for accidents have been manufactured now they wait but of course that's not going to affect the rich right in this neo-feudal world they're bringing about CNN reports yesterday the wealthy are cutting the line at the airport Disney World and ski resorts smartphones mobile payments and other tech that allow uh, that let people pay in advance reserve spots and scan tickets have made it easier for businesses to automate and depersonalize cutting the line of course of course COVID 1984 the pandemic sped up consumer adoption of mobile payments and pickup orders and so hey if you're rich you can still fly have a car um pay to get to the front of the line but if you're not sorry there's no middle class it's either you're rich or you're not um, and then you don't get to fly in a plane or have a car or any of that and the International Murder Fund the IMF um I, I I this is insane the IMF has cautioned European governments against yielding to demands for increased financial support for protesting farmers, stating that such actions could have regrettable consequences. Like, yeah, people could stay alive and eat food. We don't want that. We don't want to take away the farms and the food so they die. You know? It would be regrettable if these people are, you know, don't die if, if we don't depopulate quick enough. <laughs> Kristalina Georgieva unbelievable it's like I feel like I'm reading science fiction every day this is the official official uh, mainstream news so the IMF says don't give in to the farmers take their land run them out of business stop producing food um let's do another you know holodomor like we did in 1933 where 7 million Ukrainians died democide again democide is the word of the week <laughs> RJ rummel look look him up um don't miss out on a thing be sure to download the tnt radio app from either the apple app store or google play so you can easily watch or listen live to us anywhere anytime available right now to download keeping you up to speed on today's news talk tnt connecting the dots painting the bigger picture
2: they always have a great conversation
1: today's news talk radio tnt What began as a perceived attempt by the Biden regime to punish Texas over the border dispute actually turns out to be part of an arguably successful campaign by wealthy donors, including the Rockefeller family, to pressure the government into shifting away from liquefied natural gas, LNG, here with the story. Joining me now,
3: TNT news producer Adam Clark, AKA Ruckus. Thanks, Sarbore. uh yeah this is interesting this is according to a report from The Wall Street Journal uh this week uh, who said that basically charities controlled the um uh con- char- charities controlled by excuse me the Rockefeller family and other billionaire donors were behind this uh campaign to Uh, pressure uh, him into doing this. This is wild. So um, people familiar with the matter told the newspaper that the Rockefellers, along with former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, have pumped millions of dollars into environmental groups campaigning against fossil fuel projects, including LNG terminals that have been proposed for the Gulf of Mexico coast. Biden ordered a pause on approvals for LNG exports from new projects in the country uh, towards the end of last month on January 26th. I think I reported that here actually, uh, citing their potential contribution to climate change. The move, which was welcomed by climate activists, could delay decisions on new plants until after the November 5th US presidential election. Quote, they got our attention, end quote. That is what a senior Biden administration official said about the activist efforts describing the campaign as intense. However, many large producers have vocally opposed the move, emphasizing that LNG plays a vital role in the energy transition. The controversial decision has also sparked anger among Republicans in the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. Lawmakers said the halt inevitably weakens global energy security and undermines Washington's efforts to help the EU reduce reliance on Russian energy. The Independent Petroleum Association of America has also argued that the plan would, quote, bolster Russian influence, end quote, in the European gas market. The U.S. became the world's top LNG exporter last year, roughly. Uh, shipping roughly half of its exports to Western Europe. According to the White House, the U.S. has exceeded its annual delivery targets to the EU for each of the last two years. Meanwhile, according to The Wall Street Journal, a few days after Biden's announcement, Sarah Brennan, an associate director at the Rockefeller Family Fund, wrote in an email to environmental groups saying that, quote, the pause is the result of a sustained, sorry, sustained, four-year push that built upon years of opposition to gas exports by community groups and lawyers, end quote. Brennan added that, quote, the White House recognized the power Of this campaign, end quote. The report indicated that in 2018, the Rockefeller Family Fund, a charity created by some of the heirs of oil magnate magnate John D. Rockefeller, launched an initiative called the Funder Collaborative on Oil and Gas to encourage green funders to do more. Some of the heirs have reportedly campaigned for years against U.S. energy giant, in particular Exxon. Mobile. So apparently, their wealth, their uh, skills, their money, their efforts were behind this. See how you can affect change uh, on in your government. Oh, wait, you don't even have to go through the democratic process to do it, Harori. I'm shocked. <laughs> what do you think? The buck stops with the Rockefellers. Um, you know, I got this great
1: new book by um, Jacob Nordengard in Sweden uh, on um, the Rockefellers. The the title here. He sent me a copy, but I I, I just uh, um, reading from chapter twelve here talks about population control, uh, and he says perfectly in line with the neo-Malthusian transhumanist and eugenics views of John D Rockefeller Jr. and John D Rockefeller III in the early 1900s. Modern day solutions to the planet's problems still include population control and the radical transformation of the human species, all under the watchful eye of an AI fourth industrial revolution with its rapid advances in automation and AI had once again brought to the full Rockefeller families' key concern how many people will actually be needed in the brave new world of our near future the book is um Rockefeller controlling the game and they're they're really uh you know at the one of the core groups I think I mean they're, they're financing the smart city that I live in here in Mexico uh and then the fact is as you detail how, how um they pressured Biden on LNG exports you know it's it's all part of this Malthusian eugenicist agenda that they've been at for over a century now for over a century they've been doing this this sort of stuff you know the good news is they've been at it for over a century and they still have not gotten to where um you know gotten us to where they they want us so there's some good news it's taking them a long time They're having uh, difficulty um, implementing their totalitarian system, but yeah, you know they want the West, especially, to stop using hydrocarbons. What I just mentioned in Canada—you say if you say that you like LNG, you can go to jail now in Canada. It's just ruckus. Um, I don't know if I can handle anymore the 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 insanity of this (laughs) clown world. What
3: what do you make about? um, uh the rockefellers and their shenanigans here well they're they're quite a historical family aren't they they've uh, you know had quite an impact on the uh policies uh of our country for a long time so none of this actually technically surprises me it's just interesting that this story popped back up because at first see okay this just proves so many things like So many people had their ideas about what the reasons were, like as I reported about this last month, it was, you know, kind of um, indicated that the reason was, oh, we heard the answers were. We're trying to, you know, answer the cries of the environmentalists, and people politicized that, and and the news media went with things like, oh, this is just Joe Biden pandering to the younger folks who don't he's not popular with, right? And it's like, Aint wrong. That's not why. See, and then the the other side that got really whipped up about this was um, this concept that he was doing this to punish Texas. Like, oh, the only reason Biden did this was he's mad at Texas over the border issue. Ain't eh, wrong again. That wasn't the real thing. See what the real thing is, is this quietly, hardly ever reported upon thing. So I'm kind of shocked that the Wall Street Journal did this. So kudos to them for at least mentioning this and bringing it to everybody's attention. But yeah, uh, the 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 wealthy elites, grubby's little hands are on everything as always, as usual, worry Nothing changes. Yeah
1: yeah here as it says Rockefellers along with Michael Bloomberg have provided millions in recent years to frontline environmental groups campaigning against fossil fuel projects Uh, and some green funders hadn't given much attention to the LNG exports until recently in part because of ambivalence about the role natural gas should play in the energy transition and some previous campaigns to kill LNG terminals had been unsuccessful um and so Yeah, the name of the game here is degrowth, degrowth, right? Um, A.k.a. depopulation, democide, you know, that sort of stuff. So we'll see how it goes for them. Uh, We should not relent. Uh, All right, Ruckus, thanks for that. We'll catch up uh, in a bit. We've got Michael Barone joining us of Washington Examiner, American Enterprise Institute to to talk about his great uh, new book, Mental Maps. Of the founders, we welcome your phone calls and, and comments and questions. We'll be right back. TNTs Pella Neuroth Taylor.
4: We we need to look, do a lot of recon, deconstruction of these phrases and and really think about what it means. Because what does far right mean? I I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like, and um, it's just a label, bit like the the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, or whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response. And it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, a, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, you, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's see it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world. Meaning, well, the guys we approve of, and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of.
0: Helen Neuroff-Taylor on today's News Talk, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live.
3: The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As
0: soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely
2: mud. The country has been in for drought, so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go
3: up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home.
4: All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. so uh, uh,
3: OK. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution, one rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready.
2: From weather and traffic reports
3: to news of political developments.
2: We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before.
4: Too many journalists
0: are paying with their life. They faced exponential risks, and they've already paid a heavy toll.
3: Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks
2: are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries.
3: We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at this street.
0: These charges were politicized from the start.
3: Facts win.
2: Truth wins. Justice wins. It's enormous for me to be here, to be free. I didn't expect it Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. (laughs) My baby's back from the West Coast. (laughs) Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. (laughs) So long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence, after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe and is the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm-hmm. Give mom a little crack. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay, smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan.
4: Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk
0: Radio
1: TNT. Joining us in the program is Michael Barone, senior political analyst for The Washington Examiner and a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's been a vice president of the polling firm Peter D Hart Research Associates, member of the editorial page staff of The Washington Post, senior writer with U.S. News and World Report and senior staff editor at Reader's Digest. He's the author of many books, including his latest which we'll be discussing which i just finished reading uh today mental maps of the founders how geographic imagination guided america's revolutionary leaders um he's he's won numerous uh awards and uh, you can follow him on twitter x at michael barone welcome uh to the to TNT, michael
0: well very nice to be with you thank you for the introduction
1: i i i finished reading your book uh today i very much uh enjoyed it and I, I recommend it to, to people who are versed uh, in the US history as well as uh it's you know it's uh good for people who aren't as well versed and it gives us a you know a nice overview and you know j- just to ask you you know what um uh, uh you know why write mental maps now well I've I've been one that
0: uh over the last 20 25 years been reading a lot of excellent books that have been written about America's founding fathers people like Benjamin Franklin, uh, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, and so forth, some of them that have been bestsellers, one that's been made into a Broadway musical. Uh, and uh, they, they've been terrific books. And uh, I decided I wanted to learn more about it. And my old friend, the great reporter and Reagan biographer, Lou Cannon, once told me, if you want to really learn about a subject, write a book about it. So I thought, what can I contribute? As a journalist, as a writer on American politics, as somebody, an amateur student of history, what can I contribute about it? And I came up with the idea of maps, of geographic orientation. We all carry mental maps in our minds of how to get to the grocery store, what exit to take off the freeway Uh, in a variety of things, which airport concourse to go down. Uh, We have mental maps. Some have very well-developed mental maps, others uh, pretty uh, limited and so forth. I think GPS is probably causing a deterioration of our mental maps because we got the little machine to tell us where we turn. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, the founders, American founders, when they were opposing the American Revolution and then carrying it out and setting up the New Republic, we're dealing with uh, terra incognita. Um, they didn't know what was, you know, the, the geography of North America. They knew about the Atlantic coast. They had some knowledge of the interior. Uh, the maps that they had were pitifully inadequate when you got beyond the Appalachian mountain chains that run uh, pretty much parallel to the Atlantic seacoast. Uh, and uh, they it, it turns out that different members of the founding fathers group had different geographic orientation and those geographic orientation had consequences for the decisions they made for the new the kind of country that they created for the public policies that they followed and for the very success of the American Revolution
1: yeah and myself as a history major and former teacher of history and history professor, uh, I just want to add as well, I think it's important for Americans, particularly as well as um, non-U.S. citizens to uh, constantly review our history, refresh our memories, because um, it's important as well, uh, related to what's happening right now. Uh, Also, we're going to jump real quick to our headlines. Michael will be right back.
3: Now, we're trusted newscasters Deliver the day's news at the same reliable time. TNT Radio News. That sounds awesome. For
4: TNT, this is James O'Neill. The House Oversight Committee is seeking the transcripts of President Joe Biden's interviews with Special Counsel Robert Herr. Mark Swannitzer, the ghostwriter who worked with President Joe Biden on his memoir, Promise Me Dad, will not be charged despite deleting
3: audio files that held significant evidence of sharing classified material. A study by the Heartland Institute, based on a survey with Rasmussen Reports, suggests that the 2020 U.S. election
4: outcome might have been different without the significant increase in mail in voting.
0: Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of
1: our time right here on today's News Talk
3: TNT Radio.
1: TNT Radio. We're talking to Michael Barone uh, and his latest book from Encounter Books is Mental Maps of the Founders. I'm also a fan of Encounter Books. Uh, some folks I've interviewed in the past include Rupert Darwall, uh, his book on the climate industrial complex I very much enjoyed. And, uh, you know, each of your chapters deals with different personas. And the first one starts with Ben Franklin, who was uh, a renaissance man, someone um uh you know I, I could uh, aspire to be a Ben Frank Franklin uh, he did so many things he um helped piece the United States together um and, and you sort of go through um the, the things that he did uh you know initially he wanted the U.S. to remain part of the British British Empire there were views yep. on slavery some things changed and so if you want to tell us uh uh a well, bit Benjamin, about Benjamin Franklin is really the first guy
0: who says we should treat the colonies as a unit. They should be a unit and they should adhere together. Because the British North American seacoast colonies had different origins, different religious origins at a time when uh, the heritage of English speaking peoples was a heritage of religious warfare in the 17th century. So you had the Calvinists uh, who supported Oliver Cromwell, founded the New England colonies, Anglicans, Church of England founded Virginia and the Carolinas. Quaker founded Pennsylvania. Catholic family founded Maryland. And the Dutch founded uh, New York uh, as as well. So this was a different, they, they basically had ties to London and not with each other. And Franklin, who was born in a very in modest income family in uh, Boston and New Bound, New England, uh, as a young man, a teenager, went to Philadelphia. He becomes a very rich man. He uh, he he calls himself B. Franklin Printer, but he's he issues this book called Poor Richard's Almanac that has a new edition every year, and he sells it up and down the colonies. He promotes the evangelist George Whitefield, even though he wasn't a particularly religious person himself, the first great awakening of the 1740s. Uh, and he's got scientific uh, uh, exploits. I mean he he retires from his printing business. he franchises it, he creates the matching grant to start libraries and philosophical societies. and he uh, he he's he does scientific uh, discoveries. he he really does pioneering work on electricity and becomes world famous uh, as a scientist. so, Franklin is proposing in 1754-55 an Albany Plan of Union for the British colonies to link together together against the French who are in Quebec and the St. Lawrence River and who are coming down to the Ohio River Valley. Franklin is against that Franklin and Franklin is writing a pamphlet which he predicts that in a hundred years A majority of the English-speaking peoples will not be in the British Isles. They will be in, in North America. That turned out to be true. So Franklin is a real pioneer. He's an original thinker. He poses as, hey, I'm just a simple guy. I don't know everything. He was very shrewd and a man who made genuine
1: scientific
0: advancements
1: yeah he's um again uh, uh, amazing and and as well as the upper the opportunities that people had at that that moment when um it was a historic moment uh as well for many of these figures to um put their mark uh on the U.S. and the world uh and then George Washington uh, of course uh some of the quotes from your book is, I think he's described as a youth of great sobriety diligence and fidelity and uh something he he said that you mentioned your book i thought this was interesting where washington said quote i have heard the bullets whistle and believe me there's something charming uh in the sound and so uh you know your your further thoughts on um well george washington's
0: uh george washington's cloaks and horses were pierced by bullets at various multiple times in his career uh in battle and he never was uh, shot himself uh, personally so uh, it, was, it was kind of charming for George Washington, and he seems to have had a premonition that he was invulnerable. Some people have wondered whether there was somebody up there in the sky that was looking out for him. Uh, but George Washington started off very modestly. He was the son of a second marriage. His father died when he was 11. They didn't have enough money to send him to school in England, unlike his older half-brothers. Um, he was just trying to move forward in the colonies, and he got uh, to be a protege of a man named Lord Fairfax, the only British member of the House of Lords to settle in North America. Lord Fairfax had a huge land grant, what is now northern Virginia, almost half of the state of Virginia. Uh, and he wanted he he needed people to survey it, and he uh, his grandniece married uh george washington's brother and so he hires the 17 year old george washington to be a surveyor to go out into the wilderness and in cold weather because you can't do surveying very well when there's a lot of leaves around obstructing your view so he's going out beyond the blue ridge beyond the first appalachian chains that run parallel to uh the atlantic coast uh and he's going into the interior and that makes him a logical choice when the Virginia House of Burgesses, the colonial legislature, wants to send somebody to, even as Franklin is writing the Albany Plan of Union, they want to send somebody to tell the French not to come to the forks of the Ohio, not to come to where two rivers come together to form the Ohio River, where Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is today. And George Washington is sent up there. He goes all the way to the Great Lakes almost, 15 miles away. And that experience, in turn, and his experience working for General Braddock's ill-fated expedition to what is now Pittsburgh, 1754, uh, makes him the logical choice to be the commander-in-chief of the uh, of the Continental Army in the Second Continental Congress in 1775. So Washington worked his way up. Uh, he was a man of... Uh, uh, he 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 was a man of of great discipline he had a terrific temper, which he managed to discipline uh, He was a man of not many words. he was known for listening very carefully to other people and then announcing his decision and He was not afraid to hire some very uh, able people so his first cabinet as pr- first president of the United States. He has Alexander Hamilton as Secretary of the Treasury, Thomas Jefferson as Secretary of State, two of the great geniuses among the American Founding Fathers who didn't agree, who had different geographic orientations, but they all worked
1: for George Washington, and he made it clear he was the boss. Yeah, and some things you mentioned about Washington were towards the end Um, He had some lamentations regarding the American project. He talked about the the baleful effects of the spirit of party. Uh, And one thing that you mentioned that was interesting where he said the name American must always exalt pride of patriotism. And uh, myself being born in the USA, in Chicago, in Illinois, uh, I do uh, from time to time sense that uh, patriotism. uh, And and then, um, you know, there are other themes. As well, maybe to ask you, you know, I like the title, you know, the mental maps of the founders. They had visions, I think continental dreams, you know, your further thoughts on of these different personas, were they thinking, did they have the sort of, were their mental maps in the end sort of aligning where they dreamed of, you know, a continental structure? Well, there were certain mental maps that were in conflict. I mean, Alexander Hamilton,
0: who Grew up on the sugar island of Saint Croix in horrible circumstances. Father deserted the family. It was a Scots laird. Deserted the family. Mother died. Uh, the the guardian committed suicide. Uh, he was he was uh, he once wrote. He said, "If you look at the United States, he says, on your left side is British Canada and the New England colonies, which have ships and merchants and." little factories and things in new england on your right hand side he said is uh spanish florida and the plantation colonies the slave colonies he might have added in the carolinas and georgia well what which direction are you looking when new england's on your left and south carolina's on your right you're looking out over the atlantic ocean and hamilton's mental maps were really maps of the invisible lines of trading voyages across the oceans he learned this when he took over as a clerk at age 17 in this little office in saint croix uh when he uh he suddenly started ordering ship captains to change their course he collected debts that his bosses had never been able to collect he uh you know did multiple calculations and multiple currencies and he figured this stuff out uh, he, he wants the new nation to be a nation that has banks, that has a has a currency that encourages capital formation and business formation and so forth. And he pushes for policies successfully as Washington's Secretary of the Treasury to create a national bank and to fund a national ba- uh, debt, in many ways uh, imitating what England did under King William 100 years before. Uh, Jefferson's quite different. Thomas Jefferson, was. uh, uh, his father died when he was 14, but Thomas Jefferson inherited 200 slaves and thousands of acres of property. He was a rich man from the time he was 14 and basically able to decide exactly what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. And what he wanted to do was learn about all kinds of things like architecture, botany, uh, farming techniques, uh, ancient civilization, architecture. Um, And he was a great writer and so forth. The one book he wrote is called Notes on Virginia. And if you read the book, one of the things, it shows his geographic orientation. He includes a map, it's drawn by his father, Peter Jefferson in 1751. The map shows what was now Virginia, which also had then included what is now West Virginia, Kentucky. It included much of Western Pennsylvania. It looks out to the West and in notes of Virginia, he talks about the Missouri River, which wasn't in the United States at that time. It was west of the Mississippi River. He talks about how many miles it is from Santa Fe, uh, New Mexico, to Mexico City. And he gets it about right, but it's about 1,550 miles. Um, he's, he's looking out over the continent. He has a vision that this country will be a, a country of yeoman farmers, independent, property owning, um, deferring to their betters, like men like Thomas Jefferson, rich landowners, uh, he hoped, um, is sort of unavailingly. Uh, but uh, that was his vision. So Jefferson opposes Hamilton's, uh, Hamilton's Bank and Hamilton's financial measures. He doesn't, th- he does not, he thinks big cities are terrible things uh, and doesn't like them. Um, but by the time he's president, a decade or more later, uh, he finds himself adopting some of Hamilton's policies. When the French offer to sell him Louisiana, uh, all this land west of the Mississippi River, half a continent, uh, he suddenly uses the national bank to find the, the Je- Hamilton's national bank to find the money to pay for it. Uh, he's uh, he, he he you know he uses the the navy that Hamilton had built and Washington had built to attack the Barbary pirates in North Africa because American shipbuilders in New England were there. But his mental map originally didn't have much roof, New England. Notes on Virginia does not include New England at all, does not include New York, does not include the Atlantic Ocean. It's all to the west. So Jefferson and Hamilton were many ways uh, really brilliant people, uh, hugely talented. Uh, but they were bound to disagree about public policy because their mental
1: maps were different. There's a fantastic course I took many years ago, I think, on Coursera titled The Age of Jefferson from the University of Virginia. And, you know, even having taken that course in depth, uh, you know, I'm learning stuff from your chapter on Jefferson. Um, you know, like he his home in Monticello, uh, three times he was rebuilding it, which I I thought was very... Uh, and, and and you know he wanted to relax as you, you you describe, but rebuilding your home three times doesn't sound very uh, relaxing. Well, very, no, he 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 was
0: uh, he was a sort of architect, and he had a particular kind of home he wanted. Uh, when he married and brought his bride home, they had only one room that had a roof on it. It was the room where they they had a piano, a piano forte imported from France. It was a rich man. Uh, as I say, from age 14, uh, but he uh, he didn't have a roof. So he constantly rebuilt when he was minister to France, America's diplomat, the young republic's diplomatic envoy in France. Uh, he rents this big house and he keeps rebuilding it and doing this. And then he decides that he wants an even bigger house. Um, and he still has to pay the lease. He the he still has to pay the long term lease on the first house, and he's got a new house which he proceeds to rebuild, uh, and so forth. So he's always doing that. When you go to Monticello, his little house, it's a it's a beautiful house. It's it's very impractical. It's a built on top of a mountain. Now in Virginia, the, the Virginia planters that owned this land that produced tobacco and other crops, they had their houses on the river. The river, the boats could go up these rivers in Virginia uh, up to the fall line, up to where there were falls. And they could go, those boats could go directly to London or to Bristol in England. Uh, This is where they made their living. Jefferson doesn't do that. He puts his house on the top of the hill. Um, There was no water source up there. The slaves had to carry the water up the hill. And it's a pretty big hill. Uh, You can go there today. Uh, The house was designed really to be totally centered on him. The major rooms on the main floor are his study, his bedroom, um, the dining room where he presided and showed uh, him people with his French chef and the French cuisine. Um, The the sisters and uh, cousins and nieces and daughters lived in little tiny rooms on the second floor with small windows. The slaves lived down below, out of sight, in in a, in a sort of subterranean thing. So it was an impractical house, but it's a beautiful house. And he, when he got into political trouble or difficulties, he hated confrontation. He'd always go back to the house on the little mountain, Monticello, he, he named it after the Italian word, and uh, where he could preside over uh, a group of people that were all devoted to him. And he managed in his eight years as president to preside over an administration that was very much like that
1: uh, it, it's time for our break uh michael again the book uh is mental maps of the founders how geographic imagination guided america's revolutionary leaders from encounter books you can get in on amazon or uh, anywhere else we will be right back Give
4: me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. By now, you probably heard all about the two police officers in New York City's Times Square that were beaten by a gang of illegal thugs. Four of them were arrested and released on bail, and they're now headed to California, and they're probably there by the border of Mexico already. But there's more to this stuff we haven't heard yet until now. There is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, multiple charges, grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. Uh, This particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street, iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Uh, One of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. That's CNN's John Miller. He's a former NYPD deputy commissioner, and he wasn't finished. I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh. Report. Keep us based on this. This is- The silence of the CNN anchors says it all. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT.
2: When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee and thought I'll top up with fuel, ordered a coffee. But while I was pumping fuel, I started to get chest pains. Then it got worse and worse and worse. So then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit. And Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought, something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a Widowmaker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you.
1: Hervoye Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's our final segment here with Michael Barone and discussing his latest book, Mental Maps uh, of the Founders. He's also senior political analyst for Washington Examiner, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And and I um, I did want to jump a little bit into the future, Michael, and get your thoughts on um, some some current events. Um, you know, I, I, there was the, the Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview uh, that was, uh, I think, yesterday. Uh, published. I don't know if you got a chance to to yeah. listen to it or, or watch it. Uh, I did, and what struck me was Vladimir Putin taking like thirty minutes, half an hour, to give a history lesson on on his country, right? Russia, Ukraine. And I think one takeaway there is, you know, how he deemed it important to spend that much time um explaining that given the current events which again makes me think of your book where we're looking at the history and we kind of have to know the history to kind of um figure figure out what's what's happening today and so you know a- any thoughts on um that interview if you caught it or, or snippets of it as well no. as uh uh-huh.
0: history has its claims and country different countries have different histories and uh, those tend to come out in various ways. I mean, uh, you know, the United States has this unusual history of a a moment of foundation, of declaration of independence, of constructing a constitution, of setting up a republic which has now endured for more than 200 years. It's changed The country has changed in many ways, but the basic structure comes from a a rather short historical moment lasting a couple of decades and with some very extraordinary figures. Some of us kind of wonder how a country of three million people that could produce George Washington, uh, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, and Benjamin Franklin, now that it has 333 million, produces Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden. But uh, here we are. Um, Russia, What was Russia doing at this time? Well, the the Empress Catherine the Great was sending troops down to Ukraine uh, and conquering uh, various parts of Ukraine and sending them down to the Crimea and the Black Sea coast, which had been part of the Turkish Ottoman Empire, the Muslim Empire. Um, Russia has always been an expansionist country uh, and uh, its neighbors uh, realize that. I mean, uh, there's been some comment in the United States that, well, we have been, we were provocative, Clinton and Bush administrations, and other times with expanding NATO and that uh, antagonized the Russians. Well, you know, we didn't expand NATO involuntarily. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland wanted to join NATO. They feared Russian expansion. They have lived with that and lived with the horrifying consequences of that during the Soviet regime and the Azarist regime, and they don't want to take their chances anymore. And we've seen in this last two years how Finland and Sweden, two nations which have uh, very close geographically to Russia, which have maintained uh, a, neutra- a neutrality towards the Soviet Union uh, and towards post-Soviet Russia have decided that they want to join NATO as well. Um, the United States didn't bludgeon them into it. Um, they volunteered and wanted to qualify. And in fact, they uh, they do qualify. They've got competent uh, militaries and uh, democratic governance and human rights, and they're well qualified to be part of that. So, um, you know, we have different countries, uh, different heritages, and they make a difference. Um, what, Australia is a lot, what, the lucky country, uh, some people say. Uh, and it's a country that has uh, managed to achieve quite a lot for a relatively small number of people in a part of the world that is really remote from so many other large populations, and yet produced a highly advanced civilization produced uh, a democratic government, uh, sent uh, respect for human rights, uh, toleration of first cultural variety. Um, That's a pretty good record. Um, You may not be enchanted with all your current politicians in Australia right now, just as uh, people in the United States are not enchanted with all their politicians right now. But these heritages do matter. And um, I think one of the things we've learned is that some of the academics in the united states uh, have uh, you know we had great academic professors writing great books about the founding fathers when they retired uh, they were replaced by people that were specializing in this sort of cultural issues and so forth we didn't want you know the universities didn't want to hear from uh, scholars of the american founding anymore uh, but authors academics and non-academics wrote these excellent books and the public bought them up like crazy they made them some of them best sellers so uh americans were interested in these extraordinary people and in the history of their nation so i think um, you know we there's there's something to be said for nationalism and national pride which should be thought of not as pride that we in the contemporary world are just wonderful people and nobody's better than us and things like that we should have national pride in the fact that we have we are the lucky inheritors of others uh, in our country and indeed in the mother countries that we many of our countries have of traditions and achievements uh, that people made long ago and that uh, in my view confer on us responsibilities to try to make our nation and make the world
1: uh, a better place we've got about three minutes left and uh you know on at the washington examiner uh you've been writing uh our, our recent piece systemic lying corrodes once great uh institutions and I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on where you think we are and where we might be going given the book you just wrote uh you know there are movies coming out talking about civil war there's talk about um civil war there's uh people saying we might not even have an election that um whoever wins the other side won't accept it uh and then you know we may even be on the brink of a of another world war I hope none of that comes to pass but you know two and a half minutes left you know any other thoughts on where we are from your vantage well, point Well you did you know one of the things that you you get when you've got a free politics is that you have people disagree
0: about things Uh, You go back to the 1790s, these founders that I was talking about. Jefferson and Hamilton, you know, were not on speaking terms. Washington, at the end of his administration, wasn't on speaking terms with Jefferson, whom he have been very close to, and Madison. They had principal disagreements about important issues. And we have that today, as well as some contentiousness. Uh, I would be a little cautious about predicting civil wars and things of that nature. One of the things, if Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the candidates of the two major parties in the United States, we're not going to have either of them com- saying in 2028 and 2029 that he actually won another term in the election because they're barred by the Constitution, each of them, from seeking a second term uh, and uh, or for seeking a third term because they've Whichever one wins will have won two terms as president. So we're not going to see another January 6th. That's one thing we're not going to have.
1: All right. Yeah. And, you know, we we didn't get time to to get to it. But I think your last chapter and I learned something uh, very new here. Albert Galaten, you talk about from Geneva, Switzerland, where I lived for a year during my graduate studies and you say not one in a hundred of even historically educated americans knows albert Gallatin's name or his origin in the distant city state republic of geneva he was the secretary of the treasury and so even though right. i i i was uh i studied history and lived in geneva i had never heard of albert uh, well, 13 years. He
0: kind of blends the policies of Jefferson and Hamilton as his treasury secretary to Jefferson and Hamilton. He makes the peace in the War of 1812. Uh, he is uh, he's, he's, uh, lives till 1849. He opposed slavery all the way through his career, and uh, he was offered 20% of... Je- but John Jacob Astor, the great uh, millionaire, offered him 20% of his business, and Gallatin said no. I don't really need that much money. So uh, he was a great man in his own way. In his old, old age, and when he tur- was turning 80, he did a dictionary of American Indian languages.
1: M- Michael, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming on TNT. Uh, fantastic book, um, Mental Maps of the Founders. Uh, you can get it anywhere books are sold, and I'll be right back after this break. Thank you.